When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to No Small Roles. I am Grace Kelly Miller and we're doing something a little bit special today. We are approaching our second birthday. We may have even reached it by the time this goes out. Who knows? Time is a weird wobbly timey-wimey thing. Um, (laughs) But what we are doing to celebrate, having spent two years making this wonderful podcast, we're going to do a little look back at what we've done so far. This is also, dear listeners, this is the first time that we've had most of us in the same room oh, yeah. together recording. Very exciting. Um, we are recording on some wonderful equipment that we have been able to buy through our amazing Patreons. We love you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Grandpa. As we are in the room together, we're going to go around, remind you who we are and the characters we play. And if you haven't listened to us before, it won't be a reminder. It'll be brand new information. <laughs> How exciting. Hello. Uh, I am Ben Galpin. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I play Orin Quill, who is... <laughs> Orin, Orin Quill. Who <laughs> <laughs> is a station announcement, included, apparently. <laughs> 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 this Northern Line train will stop at Orin Quill. Um... He is a um artificer. He's a human um artificer uh who is <laughs> There you go. That's everything you need to know about Orin Quill. Uh, Orin Quill. I was gonna tell you what his subclass is, and then I realized I can't remember. He's an artillerist. Um <laughs> he enjoys tinkering, um and magical tools and little magical familiar creatures. Hi, I'm David Knight, he, him, pronouns. I'm the DM, so I don't have a character, (laughs) but I have all of of the characters. (laughs) Every single other one. All of the voices. And that's Pick one, pick one. Um, Kida, all right. He kind of (laughs) talks like, yeah, he's he's semi-Australian. I apologise to any new Australian listeners. Like, I don't know what it sounds like. That's what he does, doesn't he? He talks like that and then he goes up. (laughs) He goes up, yeah. All right. Cool, passing it around the circle then. My name is Daryl Bailey, he, him pronouns. I play the part of Enki Lukai, also he, him pronouns. And he is a Hexblade warlock, and his patrons are his five best friends from childhood and also his deadliest enemy. I'm Grace Kelly Miller. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Gwendolyn. A somewhat naive half-orc noble who has jilted her betrothed in the pursuit of love, romance and music. 
Well-bred and rather proper, Gwendolyn has privately studied the martial art form of the way of decorum, though she has had very little real-life experience of her skills at the start of our adventure. And we've also got character descriptions from our two missing players, Chris and Vicky. Hey there, I'm Chris Watts, pronouns he, him, his, and I play Gaius, the masked bard. You may have heard of me, a wise-cracking, light-fingered half-elf who's somewhat stingy with the truth. Hello, Vicky here, pronouns she, her, and uh, I'm Juna, also pronouns <laughs> she, her. Do you want to tell everyone a bit about you, Juna? Oh, all right then. Um, I'm a 200-year-old gnome yes, and love Gina. a twain tide. Um, is, it, is it safe to, to talk openly about, about anything? Yeah. Yeah, Juna, whatever, you, whatever you'd say to me, you can say to these guys. They're trusted. Oh, my gosh. In that case, I'm one of seven gnomes born every seven generations. Uh, I was born with a mark. Um, that means I, I'm put on this world to create the balance, to sort of underpin thing and um, things and, uh, yeah, just sort of res- restore balance. And you're covered in tattoos as well, aren't you? Oh, I do. I've, well, it started by trying to cover up my mark, but, um, <laughs> over the years, I've, uh, I've got a bit keen on a tattoo or two. <laughs> that, that is an understatement, Gina. <laughs> you know me, I, I like going. Like going balls deep, so they say. <laughs> All right. So, it's recap time. We'll be broadly summarising the first four arcs of our main campaign, as well as sharing some of our personal highlights. So, if you've not listened all the way up to episode 55, this is your... Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert. We'll begin with Daryl Bailey covering episodes 1 to 15. The Folly of the Vondells. After meeting in small groups on the road, the whole party meets each other in the knocking point. All the booze and the brewing equipment has been stolen by magical means. Now, there are two suspects, the noble family in town, who are the Vondells, or the witch in the woods. Using Gwen's noble heritage, the party secure a luncheon invite with Lady Vondell, but not before sneaking around the night before. They discover a new ruined tower, a folly with a secret doorway hidden beneath it. During the luncheon, Orin and Juna explore the house, discovering a divination table. Orin activates it and witnesses a full day in which the party attempt to access the door beneath the folly and are unsuccessful. Reliving the 24 hours, they head after the witch in the woods instead, meeting the necromancer, Crowl. He has a divination sickness that causes him to misremember events that haven't happened in his timeline. Crow reveals that Lady Vondell's people had taken his divination table and he's working to get it back. The party unwittingly lead him most of the way to the witch before ditching him. The witch, Ruana Witten, lives in a very powerful magical circle of stones, a henge, protecting it. She tells the party what she knows of Crow, including his buried tower in the wood. Crow then attacks with an army of undead creatures, overwhelming the henge. Ruana teleports the party towards Crow's tower, out of danger. There, they learn that he is a lich with some connection to the first king of Dravain, Rumath Terrible. Crow's phylactery is the divination table, so the party hurry back to Tillisham. When they get back, the townsfolk have realised the Vondells had been the culprits of the stolen brewery, along with the kidnapping of the local doctor and killing a local farmer. The party gain access to the underground bunker by magically suggesting the Vondell's housekeeper help them. She has a magic key that connects any door to a doorframe in the bunker. 
They fight their way to the divination table, hoping to destroy it before Crow reaches the town with his horde of undead creatures. As they try to destroy it, time fractures slightly, and Crow appears, fights them, and is ultimately beaten. They rescue the Doctor, Ikidu burns down the bunker, mm. and Arik grabs the homeward mm-hmm. door for himself. As they recover in the knocking point, a member of the Arcanist Consortium, Arcanist Zerovir Tarik, arrives to clarify and cover up events. Her assistant, scholar Heron Ilwin, secretly invites them to meet him in Vernak Rise to help uncover a conspiracy within the consortium. The party makes their farewells and heads out on the road. Thank you, Daryl. David, for those who don't know, could you give us a brief description of a folly? Oh, so a folly um, is a fun, it's a real life thing. This isn't a yeah. D&D made up thing. Uh, rich people, when they've got a lot of money, or this is how it used to be, would build old ruins, like purposefully old, just to look cool in their estate. Oh, yeah. Um, Elon Musk has one. Oh, does he? No, does... I've just made that up. Oh, oh that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of where the, the idea of it came from, that it was um, these rich people, yes, they have actually disguised a bunker uh, underneath their estate because they've been using this divination table to see an oncoming disaster. Flames, floods. Flames, floods. The, the dead rising. rising. Dead and rising. Titans tearing titans the earth tearing asunder. The earth asunder. Yeah, yeah. So they've built this like little bunker to protect themselves and on top of it have built an old ruin so that nobody, everyone just thinks they've like spent their money on, on yeah. a silly little folly. But you know, it's, it's like, it's the play on words because it's the folly of the Vondells, but the folly of the Vondells. Oh. Love it when a writer pats himself on the back. <laughs> 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 oh my God, I'm thinking about too many. Anything else that needs mentioning? Well, we didn't kill everyone in the bunker. No, that's true. Yes. Didn't so, kill uh, Trimped. No, sorry. Jasana Os- and Oskin. Jasana and Oskin. Uh, so Oskin was the younger brother. We help, help rescue out. from the burning mm. folly. Oh, there's um, a really important cobbler called Jenny. Oh, and Jenny. Oh. Yeah. Um, the other thing <laughs> is, Gina, Gina. In, as after going to uh, the Henge, uh, you then were saved by Rowana, who died. Yes. Rowana went in the witch. And you were sent to Kral's underground tower. Mm. Yes. Kind of like a wizard's tower that had been buried (gasps) for a long, long time. And there, there was a series of mirrors. Yes. Oh my gosh. That those other archivists are communicating through or haven't been for a long time. And you also, um, the other thing that had been taken from there by the Vondells was the the, homeward door. The homeward door. Yes. Oh, what favorite oh. favorite bits from from this first lot? What's uh, a moment that stands out to you? Oh, What's the, the dead come into the hench? The morning after we stay the night at Rwanda's, and Rwanda's the first one up. I think Ikiru gets up, yeah. mm. and I think it says something like, "He's here, isn't he?" And she's like, "Yes." And then it comes. Yeah. Wait, even though this is there's a shield, there's like a hole in it or something, and they just come, yeah. and we all take a stand together, and it's beautiful. But like. We were toast. <laughs> the music that, is amazing. You know, yeah, so good. Yeah. Oh my god, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better than the composer uh, patting himself on the back. <laughs> hey, listen, and the random the composer. I, I do a lot of patting myself on the back. <laughs> of um, for me, it was in Kral's tower. Mm. Um, so we, basically, we find this big button before we find the mirrors, and somebody presses mm. it, and the countdown starts. Yeah. And I remember genuinely being so like tense like in this moment of like i'm just sitting in my bedroom in real life telling stories with my friends but 
I was so nervous and so scared. Like the storytelling was so good. And it was, and then listening back again, when, once David adds his music, it's just like a whole nother level. It's always yeah. amazing. So and now you're patting me on the back. This is yeah, great. It's lovely. Sorry. We'll have to stop blowing smoke up your behind. Uh, it's fine. It makes it warm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that just the, the, the way that you can get such tension uh, in this game yeah. is pretty exciting. Yeah. One of my favorite moments was. I mean, first of all, the whole uh, Juna and Orin encountering the divination table, uh, <laughs> activating tomorrow. it. And then like immediately afterwards, they didn't think, they thought they'd jump to full day forward. And they're there being like, we're in tomorrow, we're in tomorrow. Oh. But in fact, all that had happened is like it had started allowing Orin to see a day into the future. Like... Mm. A lived-in day, yeah. But their immediate reactions, fantastic. Oh, still, yeah. every time I listen back to it, still makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That tomorrow. moment is so much fun. Yeah, I enjoy listening back to episode seven. But I, I think, I mean, I, I mean, the moment I'm never gonna forget. I think is in episode eight, yeah. where we think it's all gone very badly wrong for the party, only for our very clever DM to pull a little reveal on all of us um about yeah the timelines as you've just mentioned mm-hmm. us actually just seeing the future rather than living through it and that reveal and everyone's reactions to that reveal when it happened yeah were ugh, i will never yeah. forget that yeah mm-hmm. let's listen to what uh chris and vicky have to say about their favorite so my favorite moment from the first arc the vondel's folly has probably got to be jenny and hmm. Juna, and just the absolute anguish of pulling those two apart when it came to a chat. I just loved Jenny. I loved that she was a cobbler. I loved she was a down-to-earth gal who just knew everything going on. And David did such a wonderful voice. So any interaction with Jenny was just such a delight. Juna, do you want to go first? Oh, yeah. I think a highlight for me is, uh, do you remember... <laughs> When me and Orin, we thought we were in tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> we had such a laugh that day. Oh, dear. That was that was a great moment, Judah. Yeah, I loved that moment. But while we're talking about the balance, we have to talk about what happened in the next episode. All of the stuff that went down. Um, you know, the bit I'm talking about, the less said, the less said about that, the better. Well, I mean, to be honest, really, you shouldn't really know about any of this because Orin hasn't told you. Yes, well, I know everything you know. Yeah, I'm not even going to try and unravel that. Um, but yeah, they, they were some good moments, weren't they? Uh, but also, Lady Vondell, what a bloody brilliant character. I'd go up against her again just for the chance to see baby David be Lady Vondell. Oh no, but what you've forgotten about is the um, Ruana and the Henge. We do need to get everyone back to the henge at some point. I'm working on it, Juno. We'll 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 make that happen. All right. Our second arc covers episodes 16 to 25. So here's David Knight with a recap of the Noble Pastures. The party trying to bond with each other and learn of Enkidu's history, he's actually got a group of people within him, uh, some of whom are vying for control. Uh, as Juna revives Ruana as her familiar, one of those people takes over Enkidu and attacks Juna. But luckily, the whole thing is sorted out. <laughs> On their journey, they then meet uh, Deacon Fireheart Button, who is trying to find a compass. The search leads them to a rally for Lord Berrien to show support for his claim to the throne. 
He's actually drugging his followers with a substance known as frosting, which has been stolen from a criminal group known as the Hex. Deacon wins his compass back in a card game, and the party prevent a Hex assassination. Uh, Gaius then finds a note that implies that his sister, Treya, is a member of the Hex. They all say goodbye to Deacon and continue on their way. They arrive in Vernock Rise, where Heron Ilwyn explains that he has been investigating a buried secret concerning the founding members of the Arcanist Consortium. He gives the party a map with locations uh, that are connected to three of the founders of the Arcanist Consortium and asks them to see what they can learn. Uh, They all then celebrate the Heart of Spring and buy each other gifts before heading north to the first location. On their way, they stop at a town called Rosthall, where a shape-changing serial killer has just been captured. They noble their way into the local lord's home, where another member of the Arcanist Consortium, Clain Eovet, is residing. See, he helped capture the faceless footman, the serial killer, and surreptitiously reads the party's minds. Evil Uh, Santa. Evil Santa. The party then check out the town's library slash prison just as the faceless footman escapes. They give chase, but lose the faceless footman in a hex hideout. When they try to gain entry, they're all frosted and wrapped in carpets that are driven out of town. Um, Out of town, they free themselves, sober up, and decide to leave well enough alone, continuing north instead. Thank you, David. Now, could you give us a bit more information, a bit more detail regarding the mission from Heron Ilwyn? The map that was given to them with three of the founders, the information that Heron had found, there was Ooh, yeah. one up in the north, Erida Wingthrop. There was uh, two kind of southerward, uh, Geramir Hastan, who we've since learned is some kind of demonologist, but has just disappeared. And then another guy who I can't remember. <laughs> Bruthless Lister. That's it. Bruthless Who's an Lister. illusionist? Who's an, illu- who's an illusionist, um, we assume, yeah, because right. there is a lighthouse yeah. uh, down on the southern yeah. coast that just isn't always there. So they decide to head to north to Erida Wingthrop, whose yeah. progeny, um, written into like the, the Accords, the founding of Dravain, they're always allowed to claim that piece of land, the Golden Forest, up in the north. Anyway, that's some AC founder facts for you. <laughs> favourite bits? I think one of my favourite moments of that arc is the morning after we've poshed our way into the house or Gwendolyn's poshed away into the house. Noble then. And they, we, we have demanded five separate rooms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we've only used one. One, yeah. So yeah. This guy, because this guy's been reading your mind. Yeah. 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 We get paranoid about sleeping in separate rooms. So we, in the morning, we go and jump on all the other beds <laughs> to make it look like we've used all five rooms that we've demanded we have to have and then steal all their breakfast. Yes. Uh, we pocket a whole load of their Twain Tide tea bags because, oh yeah, we're obsessed with Twain Tide tea already oh, by yeah. this point in the arc. Yeah. That is an important thing that's been missed out. Mm-hmm. Junior has discovered Twain Tide and then spread the love of Twain Tide to the rest mm. of the party. Mm. Even to the point the gift that Gwendolyn had bought her is a whole tea caddy. Oh, that's another brilliant moment. The whole yeah. Gwendolyn going out to buy yes. her. Yeah. That was a lot of And Juna thinking, oh, Gwen, we're going to have, oh, we're not going to have some an orgy. I'm not, di- I'm not disappointed. Party, but, oh, I thought we were going to have an tickle. orgy, but yeah. I'm not Gwendolyn disappointed. Gwendolyn find herself, finds herself in a very special shop, uh, place of yeah. uh, work, and um, so very innocently thinks she's buying a tea caddy and friends. Mm. And uh, yeah, she as Daryl says, uh, Juna thought it was going to be an orgy, but it wasn't. Yeah. Just a little tea party. It was very, very fun getting to role play that as well. (laughs) Loved just like Grace being fully aware of the situation, but Gwendolyn being so wide-eyed and naive and not knowing Mm -hmm. what's going on is great. The magic flute. Oh, Oh, of course, the magic flute. Yeah. Another one of the gifts. Guys has been given a magic flute that Mm. makes people move. Mm. 
but then continually calls them over if the flute is not given the attention yes. that it wants. Yes. So who is it? It's Orin and... Juno. Juno yeah. are awake in the middle of the night wandering yes. over to Gaius because if he doesn't play it once every day, yes. at night, it's the attention-seeking flute, isn't it? Yeah. So at night, it activates and calls whoever it's being used on over to the to the little, user. little pied flute. Who are all of the people in Enkidu's head? Oh, oh yes. yes. Um we have Gilgamesh, um, who is um a found like found family. A uh, guy who found him after Enkidu's first home was destroyed. And they ran around together, small crimes, hand to mouth living. Um you have Cal, who is a prize fighter in the city. Um his mother passed, he's finding his way by winning fights um they became they befriended um cal after that was he, oh after that was light um who they rescued from the hex mm-hmm. uh i've not revealed that uh, <laughs> light who they rescued <sighs> from the hex um then there's hina whose father was killed by the hex and they got revenge for that and the five of them became a little crew and this other person he said is Alcibiades, the person who set fire to Enkidu's house and has a grudge against him for reasons that Enkidu does not know. And what's the special thing about Gilgamesh? He is the heir, or he believes himself to be the heir to the throne. He believes himself to be the son of Herish Dothara. Oh yeah, the, uh, the that's kind of an important. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's pretty important. It is pretty important. Yeah, the king has been dead for about six years. Six years. So. There is a race on as to who will be the next king, but uh, the steward is kind of holding everyone back at the moment for reasons that nobody knows. No, no, not even by episode sixty. Do we know? No, that's not where we're going up to, is it? Not even by episode (laughs) fifty-five. Wow. (laughs) Spooky. Spooky. Yeah. Cool. So. Do we have any favourite moments from Chris and Vicky over in the corner there? I've got to say, Gwendolyn being uh, frosted and all of the challenges that came with that, that was hilarious. I actually turned up halfway through that that moment when she was frosted. Um, and, you know, what? it was Chris, just so naked. much fun to listen to. <laughs> Gwendolyn does a great job sounding very um, inebriated. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Chris, let's listen to it on Vicky and Juno, I imagine. Yeah. But then in the next arc, in the Noble Pastures, um, we got we got Ruana back in sort of some way, shape or form, didn't we? I've been looking forward to getting a familiar ever since we began and we got Ruana in the Noble Pastures. Oh, and we'll never lo- lose her now. No, we won't. And we got to meet Deacon. Oh, little Fireheart. Oh, I mean, I could go on for days and days about my favourite moments of No Small Roles, but I'm going to... Try and keep it. Try and keep it as lean as possible. Oh, luck, luck brings blessings. <laughs> I thought I was getting an orgy. That was, that was nearly a highlight for you, wasn't it, Judah? I do love tea, though. <laughs> we'll move on. Um, I think a, a highlight for me, probably less so for you, because you were doing the chasing, but. The faceless footman chase uh, just was. It, I I loved that we got to see real life Grace. <laughs> yeah. Oh, real life Grace! They, I forgot that. Yeah. And just sort of everyone got involved, and I mean, it was frustrating, but that was it was really cool. Particularly listening back to it, 
And also in this uh, in this arc, we really got to see some really nice character moments, like Orin and Gwen in the library taking charge. Mm. Guy, when everyone was wrapped up and frosted, wrapped up in the carpets, got to see him taking charge. And then Juno, when you and Enkidu just barged into the carpet factory, I think it was some really nice sort of character affir- affirming moments. Well, if you leave if you leave me and Enkidu to do anything, we will just barge in and we will just do exactly <laughs> what we did in the carpet factory. <laughs> Noted, Juna. <laughs> Next up, we have Ben Galpin covering a hefty chunk, episodes 26 to 43, The Soul of Artifice. So, on the road, they meet Myra Wingthrup, uh, an incredibly annoying nine-year-old who is being chased by an <laughs> elemental creature. Oh. <laughs> She'd accidentally fused two of the batteries together while trying to adjust her travel heater. So Myra's trying to head up to her cousin's house because she is worried that her parents are not her parents anymore since they went to a Winthrop uh, family meeting at the workshop. Uh, she only tells Gwen this to start with because uh, she's not entirely trusting of the group. Uh, around the campfire that evening, everyone reveals stuff. Uh, Juna reveals that her body is covered in tattoos. Uh, and her divine fate that she is one of the seven gnomes born every seven generations. Three for the light, three for the dark, one for the balance. She suspects she's for the balance, but she's not entirely sure. Uh, Gaius reveals the scars behind his uh, mask, which is usually covered up, uh, and also prosthetic eye. Um, And Orin uh, talks about the marks on his arms. Um, So they decide to disguise Myra, uh, to travel across Lake Trevain. But on their way in the town of Rudderville, they bump into Dwayne Fabulosa, who is Gwen's ex? Ex? Maybe ex. Maybe not ex. Who knows? Uh, who is being chased by the ghost of his ex husband, Arthur, or Art. Uh, during the boat trip, Art blows up some of the elemental batteries, uh, which Harry, the uh, boat captain, is. Uh, transporting downstairs in the boat. There's probably more technical boat terms than downstairs. <laughs> uh, creating a large, unstable elemental that explodes. And it says in these notes, kills Bessie, but we all know it's not the explosion of the batteries. That... David was planning to kill Bessie anyway. <laughs> I wasn't trying to, but you <laughs> took her on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> One way or another, Bessie does. R.O.P. Bessie. Uh, Gaius makes Dwayne 12. Gaius makes Dwayne... <laughs> <laughs> Gaius makes Dwayne tell the truth of the matter and he does before turning into a dragon and flying away they reach the they reach the shore they sneak through the town of Drosted where they reach Ferrisine's cottage there Ferrisine and Myra explain the Wingthrop family ethos and how their family intelligence is tested before they can rise up the ranks uh, now Ferrisine has stolen some new prosthetic arms um, which are not powered by elemental batteries, which is weird. Uh, and instead, they seem to come alive and escape while Orin's trying to inspect them. However, he does manage to deduce, after they've been deactivated with the help of uh, Ferrisine's handy anti-magic field, that they're being powered remotely in some way. He finds a half-completed sigil inside one of the arms. Now, in the courtyard of Ferrisine's house, there is a golem uh, that activates, uh, declaring that an untested wing thrust has been detected. So, solving the golem's riddle, the team build a compass that points them into the golden forest uh, and presumably 
the Wingthrop family workshop, and they say their goodbyes to Myra and Ferrocene as they head off into the forest. On their way, they fight a shambling mound, um, and um, slightly bring it back to life a little bit lightning but who would have known that lightning but who right what is the (laughs) chances that lightning would help a shandling mount um turns out pretty high yeah as it turns out pretty high Uh, (laughs) and eventually they find the hidden wing for a workshop uh they find a big sort of area of uh forest that isn't looking so healthy and uh in the middle of this unhealthy area at the entrance are more golems golems that confirm that Gaius and Orin have Wingthrop blood, while the others are potential spouses. So they enter for their first challenge. So inside the Wingthrop workshop, the first challenge is a series of interconnected rooms that test various intelligences. They learn that the elemental batteries are created by destroying and converting elemental creatures into pure energy. After completing this first series of tests, they're held in a waiting room where Gaius tells Gwen all about how he got his scars. Or does he, Chris? <laughs> Enkidu talks to Gilgamesh and reaffirms their plan to take the throne. After waiting the 12 hours, they meet Erida, an automaton who greets them with all the names they're known as, even if lots of their names aren't known to them, and guides them to their own dedicated room in the workshop. They're granted the rank of recruit and allowed access to applied medtech, wand production and battery storage. In the battery storage, they meet Kogian, another recruit tasked with the safe disposal of the existing batteries, and he shows them around. He's also wearing a very fetching pair of slippers, I believe, mm. if I remember correctly. Mm. And a dressing gown. And a dressing gown. Uh, it's very Douglas Adams. <laughs> they also meet Quanta, a commander who doesn't have slippers, and whose thoughts are static, and who performs an amputation on a soldier with the assistance of Enkidu. They see the arcane energy that contains the other half of the sigil, that is used to power the prosthetic limbs that they uh, operated on earlier on in Ferrocene's workshop. However, knowing that they're being watched and listened to the whole time, the party have to plan their next steps with diagrams and coded language. They decide to attempt the advancement test after a night's sleep um, and various other contraptions in the night that get made. They have to rank each other on who best upholds the Winthrop family values. Unfortunately, uh, Enkidu loses and is codified after being zapped in a tube full of energy. He did. Crispy. I'm sorry that information is restricted to higher rank. Oh, he's one of them now. (laughs) The party grieve, but gain the rank of captain along with access to the Codex and the Arsenal. So the Codex is an archive of Wingthrop ancestors, now including Enkidu and all the voices inside his head too. They confirm Gaius's father was Corsticus Findigulf Wingthrop, who was MIA, is in action, with brother Eremir Aris Wingthrop. And in the arsenal is an army of golems, about 50,000 of them. Suddenly, Enkidu reappears, followed by another Enkidu who's not wearing any clothes. The party rush to escape, kicking one of the Enkidus away. Uh, hopefully the fake one. Oh no, he's naked! <laughs> Save the naked one. Save the naked one. The naked one. one is the one that you stay the with. The naked one's real. <laughs> they battle through the golems and Quanta to get to an underground river, jumping in a boat to sail or row away. Juno reads Enkidu's mind to see... I should point out that, first of all, Enkidu is given some new armour, so he's no longer naked. Then... <laughs> Hashtag thank you, patrons. But it does have assless chaps. 
So uh, it doesn't have Aslan straps. Well, the drawings disagree. Uh, <laughs> Juno reads in Kidu's mind to find out he is a sovereign model golem with a programmed prime directive of going to Mervi and the throne. Though Erida's plans are allegedly for the good of Dravain. They decide to... You can see what I think of that. <laughs> they decide to follow the river back past the WCI, or Wingthrop Convalescent Institute, and down a waterfall, out into Lake Trevane. They double back to Ferrisine's cottage to inform Myra and Ferrisine of what they've learnt, and they send the girls off to Pryden and to the Rose family. Highlights? Oh, a favourite saying. I'm sorry. That information is restricted uh-huh. to higher-ranking family members. Oh, uh, the most infuriating thing ever. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> It's so much fun to say that. Oh. <laughs> it's horrible. Listen, DMs out there, if you're listening, um, if ever you don't want your players to know something, or you haven't thought of the answer, <laughs> just come up with a really nice phrase that the bad guy or their group like says in response to those kinds of questions. <laughs> think of it like Professor Oak whenever you're trying to ride a bike in Pokemon in the wrong place. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't think that's a good idea to ride a bike in. <laughs> just one of those. It's great. One of my favourite things from that whole soul of artifice arc was the existence of myra myra was just myra such i was gonna say a delight but that would be a lie <laughs> <laughs> such a brilliant character yeah. um such a kind of foil for the party mm. at times and just her constant like needling of like orin at times and juna at times her love of gwen kidu yeah. <laughs> as well gwen kidu yeah yeah gwendolyn and kidu don't really get on or do they? <laughs> <laughs> or, or do they? It's just the start of the romance, guys. Yeah. It's just the start. <laughs> it's been the start for 56 episodes. <laughs> Should we have a little listen to Vicky and Chris? Yes. Oh, yeah. So this is the wing... <laughs> I love wing. it. Chris just forgets <laughs> everything. Is that a genuine pause? This is you... a genuine pause. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's looking up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wingthrop. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Soul of the Artificer. Here we go. Uh, this... <laughs> There's paper noise in the background. I can hear him. The Soul of the Artificer arc. So with the wing throbs. My favourite moment was... Oh, it's probably got to be... It's a hard one because there's so many good stuff. I, you know, it has to be the fight on the on the ship, on the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, Dwayne Fabulosa and... Um, the the elemental becoming more and more powerful, and then it suddenly being flipped, and it's on the back foot, and it's oh, it's getting smaller and weaker, and then Orin just um, I can't remember what he does exactly, but he does he he shoots oh, he does a, a shocking grasp, and that causes the monster just to get bigger and bigger and bigger again, and we're all just like, what have you done? That was so much fun, amazing. Oh, we got to meet Dwayne. Oh my God, the moment where we figured out that it was Dwayne with the blue afro, that was that was amazing. And Juna's favourite moment? I do think um, that was a bit of a learning curve for me because I did tear him a new one a little bit, didn't I? Yep. But you learn that like it, it actually wasn't his fault. I, I know that now and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear that in mind in the future. Um, but also the like here is where I really have to give baby David, baby David, here is where I really need to give baby David. <laughs> retcon, retcon, retcon. <laughs> this is where I really need to give Great. baby David credit for the music. Um, I mean, it's all fantastic, but the soul of artifice music is just yeah. mwah, perfection. And also we get Dwayne's um, theme in this 
in this section as well. Mm. Um, but personally, I really loved the like doing the puzzles. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> and I feel like, Juno, I took you a bit away from who you should be there. You're, yes, I don't love puzzles, but you made me do them just because you enjoy doing them, Vicky. That's not very professional, is it? No, but I loved it, particularly the forge. That was really fun. Um, and then Myra holding Oren's hand at the end just broke all of our hearts. Oh, yes. Oh. And finally, I'll be covering our most recent arc and that'll take us all the way up to episode 55 the twain tied tea tournament all right so the party update heron who informs them that the professor is in residence in vernock rise to chat about all what they've learned now heading into don't know why i'm doing this as a geezer but i am so let's head into town they compete in a sausage-eating factory. Please don't call us the lad. Sausage-eating factory. Uh, <laughs> sausage-eating factory. I've got the words in front of me. Uh, <laughs> heading into town, they compete in a sausage-eating contest and they lose because they suck. Uh, they notice a wanted poster for Gwendolyn set by the DeBarge family. There is money if they anybody tracks her down. As Oh, uh, the DeBarge family, basically. That's who Gwendolyn was meant to marry, Colin DeBarge, but she ran away because... Dwayne was too and sexy. Colin was boring. Colin was boring. It was like and a looked like a walrus. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And Dwayne Fabulosa. Well, <sighs> that blue hair, talented, sexy man. Anyway, so as well as the poster from the Debarge family saying we want. Gwendolyn Rose, here's some money, get her back to us. There is also a cross-country competition called the Twain Tide Tea Tournament. <gasps> it's pretty exciting stuff. Now, the party have been trying to work out what their cover is going to be, so they think, do you know what, let's sign up to this tournament. Uh, you just need to go via Medruvane, that's kind of on their way, so they go off and do that. They get signed up, they put themselves down as the team lame of the Abracolat. However, they have decided on an official uh, name, they are called... They are called the Fate Mark Five. Yeah, but Abraclads is way better. Having kept a couple of the elemental batteries from the Chugalong, they release one on the road. Realizing it's a bit dangerous, they decide to save the fire elemental for a safer location. Also on the road, Gwendolyn writes a letter using Orin's notebook. Juna tattoos everyone who wants one. That's uh, Gwendolyn, Gaius and Juna. And they get to Medravain, sign up and compete in the first challenge, winning a spoon. Oh, yeah. yes, everybody. Yeah. It's all about spoons from here on. Uh, but Gwendolyn unfortunately hurts her ankle, so has to uh, recuperate in a tavern, drinking as many strawberry daiquiris as she can handle. Now, while resting, they meet with Alfie Noble, who is trying to escape their work with the Hex. They are an alchemical artificer, and they have developed stronger frosting, as well as an anti-frosting formula. But Alfie has realised the Hex are bad news. Now, Alfie's notebook is put in Juna's tea caddy of holding, which is then stolen by the Hex members. They regroup and infiltrate the Hex hideout, the Carpet Factory. 
Now, Malleus Cordnut is a beetle-like tiefling. He's selling an artefact, a stone rod, to a sweaty man with lots of rings on his fingers when Alfie and Orin, in disguise, arrive in his office. Now, they manage to retrieve the tea caddy with the help of the rest of the party. Gaius swipes some papers and they blow the place up in a very dramatic way with the remaining fire elemental battery. It's badass. Now, having left uh, the uh, whole hex and perhaps the city to burn, they say goodbye to Alfie and head south. On the way to Vernet Grise, a bounty hunter tries to kidnap Gwendolyn. Ah, a talking spider. A talking spider. It's not a talking spider. (laughs) (laughs) A person on a spider kidnaps. It's yet we don't know yet. It's something we're going to find out if it's a talking spider. It's not. (laughs) I mean, just because you're the DM doesn't mean that's the truth. It is Um, side quest. Side quest. Side quest. (laughs) But the party are able to rescue Gwendolyn uh, from this bounty hunter. Uh, But as they carry on on their journey, they try to be extra careful of not letting Gwendolyn's true identity be revealed. So she starts using a different name. She starts going by Carhilda. And she also uh, gets transformed into a sparrow for part of the journey. Now, during this sparrow moment, they bump into a caravan of Time and Prevost supporters. Sounds like he's a pretty decent guy. He's in the race to become the king. Say a race. It's been taking six years, so it's not that fast. Um, and so they give them a few, like, rosettes. and like, hey, you should support Time and Prevost. Okay, the party, think about it. They're also on their journey. They start to decode the hex papers. Now, the hex papers derail... The hex papers detail coded transactions of magical items sold to various people, including rings. Yeah, that sweaty bloke from before. Now, in Vernock Rise... no good. Oh, he's no good. In Vernock Rise, they meet Professor Kied, Tig Tagadon. Tigadon, Tagadon, Tagadong, Tagadong, who knows? Uh, a- Tigadon to his friends. <laughs> Tagadong. You're doing great. You're doing great. Tagadong. Dong. It's late, everyone. <laughs> We've been recording for three hours. Uh, okay, um, so Kied Tagadon is a gnome and one of the seven petals. Now, when he touches Juna yeah oh my uh, gosh handshake. just a handshake <laughs> just a handshake when did this become the late night Rotor Ross anyway when they shake hands they see a glimpse of the cycle of strings now Heron and Kieda want the party to continue investigating they share info on two or more AC founders that's the Arcanist Consortium they leave the homeward door at Heron's which Gwen later uses and overhears the name Liana in conversation. Ooh. Ooh. You know it's important because David added it to he the added notes. It, so it must be important. Juna <laughs> contacts Ginger, who is panicked by Juna having met another flower gnome, and tells Juna to steer clear of Kieda. Now they pass the time by collecting spoons and shopping. After further chats with Kieda, when he and Juna touch again, the party feel a breeze pass through them. Now I'm just speculating, but I think that breeze is the start of the end of the world. Now, Juna confirms with Ginger <laughs> that she is four weeks away, and so they decide to head out to Forlos Vale. They are given a cart and two horses by Kierda, and on the way to Forlos Vale, they meet Western Merriman, who sells them a Volpatinga, which robs them the following night. Dun, dun, dun! 
So yeah, favorite favorite moments. I I think oh goodness, I think some of my favorite moments were all about Alfie. Definitely. Alfie was a fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, can we just oh. shout out to all of our guests? Yes, yes. Uh, our guest characters: oh. Deacon, Deacon, Dwayne, Fireheart Button, and Alfie have all yeah. been fantastic. So good. But Alfie's notes that they'd written themselves mm-hmm. oh, were so good. Their tendency to set everywhere they worked on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and my last one, my last favourite moment from the Twain Tag Tea Tournament has to be when Alfie Noble, the goblin, had been captured by their previous hex uh, employers and knives were to uh, throats or to hands specifically and it looked like it was in a really bad way and we had previously been through quite a few scrapes and bumps and one of our party members had gotten down and you know our competency our confidence was really low and actually I really loved when we all just coincided our spells and we flew through the windows, smash, and then we cast silence and beat um, Alfie's employer up and took loads of valuable um, documents and bailed out of there while Orin threw back a, a fire elemental, which blew up and then destroyed the warehouse. And I came out of that just thinking, well, we're actually quite a competent battle group. We've done a really good job here, gang. I guess that was my favourite moment of that arc when I just thought, huh, you know what? We can do this. We can do adventuring, aren't we, good guys? We met Alfie. Oh, weren't they a delight? They thought that they didn't get on with people very much, didn't they? But they were an absolute delight. Oh, yeah, we loved Alfie. And obviously, Juna, in this bit, we met the professor. Oh my goodness, I think that might be the sort of biggest moment of my whole entire life. It wasn't, it didn't really happen the way I thought it was. And if I'm being honest, I'm a little confused by it all. I can't, I can't wait for Ginger to turn up, yeah? Did you have any idea how far away she was? No. I mean, I'm I'm never quite sure where she's going to be, but hopefully she'll turn up soon. Yeah, Keir de Tagadon, he's just floating out there mm-hmm. with his Australian voice. Yeah. It's Professor. Being the professor? Don't trust him. <gasps> but he's so nice. That's exactly I why I don't d- trust I don't, him. <laughs> I, I don't trust him. Either. I've never introduced a nice character and they've been nasty to you, have I? Come on. Um, the Vandals. Mm-hmm. Nah, they were I shady. Mean, they were shady from the but start. But they were nice to us. Myra, no, she wasn't nice. No. To be no. fair. Jenny, she's yeah. very nice. Yeah, and turned out Iris. nice. Iris yeah. is very nice. Yeah. I feel like they're the most trustworthy people we've met. <laughs> they're way yeah. back in Tillisham. Back in yeah, Tillisham. yeah, mainly in Tillisham, the trustworthy people. You're right, no one, yeah. no one nice has actually stabbed us in the back. Yet. Yes. I don't trust him. I don't trust Kid either. I was talking it... about David, but also Kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I think there's only one thing to say, Juna, isn't there? Happy birthday, no small roles. Um, thank you to everyone for listening to us. And shall I go first, or what do you want to go first? Oh no, you go first. And on, on for now. And on for now. And on for now. And now. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.